Hello everyone and welcome to week 12 of philosophy, uh, 2500 Introduction to Feminist Philosophy. Today we're talking about Robin Wall Kimmerer's article, The Grammar of Animacy. Dr. Robin Wall Kimmerer is a mother, plant ecologist, writer, and distinguished teaching professor at the SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry in Syracuse, New York. She serves as the founding director of the Center for Native Peoples and the Environment, whose mission is to create programs that draw on the wisdom of both indigenous and scientific knowledge for our shared goals of sustainability. Her research interests include the role of traditional ecological knowledge and ecological, res ecological restoration and the ecology of mosses. In collaboration with tribal partners, she and her students have an active research program in the ecology and restoration of plants of cultural significance to native peoples. Okay, so let's dive right in. So Kimmerer writes that English is a noun-based language, somehow appropriate, she writes, to a culture so obsessed with things. Only 30% of English words are verbs. Kimmerer compares this with the Potawatomi language, which is an indigenous language that she's learning and talks about in this article. The proportion of verbs in Potawatomi is 70%. Kimura writes, European languages often assign gender to nouns. So English is a noun-based language and also a, a very gendered language. Potawatomi, on the other hand, does not divide the world into masculine and feminine. And this reminds me of the paper that we was assigned last week that we didn't um, have a lecture on by Laurie Swanson about uh, the femininity of care and the work of care ethics in um, environmental ethics. Kimmerer writes, nouns and verbs both are animate and inanimate. So in Potawatomi, you hear a person with a word that is completely different from the one with which you hear an airplane, since one verb is going to be for something listening to something animate, a person, and the other verb is going to be for listening to something inanimate, the airplane. Pronouns, articles, plurals, demonstratives provide different ways to speak of the living world and the lifeless one in Potawatomi, writes Kimmerer. Different verb forms, plurals, everything are applied differently depending on whether what you are speaking of is alive or not. Kimmerer tells a story of her one of her kind of experiences with this language of verbs and speaking of things um, as having animacy, as having life. She writes, I grabbed the Ojibwe dictionary and flipped more pages and all kinds of things seemed to be verbs. To be a hill, to be red, to be a long sandy stretch of beach. And then my finger, she writes, rested on Ikwegama. And sorry for my pronunciation, I don't know what the right pronunciation is, but. The word means to be a bay. Ridiculous, Kimmerer thought. A bay is most definitely a person, place, or thing, a noun, and not a verb. And then she writes, I swear I heard the zap of synapses firing. I could smell the water of the bay, watch it rock against the shore, and hear it sift onto the sand. 
A bay is a noun only if water is dead. When a bay is a noun, it is defined by humans, trapped between its shores and contained by the word. But the verb, wikwegama, to be a bay, releases the water from bondage and lets it live. To be a bay holds the wonder that, for this moment, the living water has decided to shelter itself between the shores, conversing with cedar roots and a flock of baby mergansers. To be a hill, to be a sandy beach, to be a Saturday, all are possible verbs in a world where everything is alive, where things have animacy beyond what the, the group of things that English says has animacy. Water, land, and even a day. This language, the Potawatomi language, is a mirror for seeing the animacy of the world, the life that pulses through all things, through pines, nuthatches, mushrooms. This, Kimmerer writes, is the grammar of animacy. Imagine, she says, seeing your grandmother standing at the stove in her apron, and then saying of her, look, it is making soup, it has gray hair. In English, we would never refer to a member of our family, or indeed to any person, as it. That would be a profound act of disrespect. It robs a person of selfhood and kinship, reducing a person to a mere thing, to an object. So it is, Kimura writes, that in Potawatomi and most other indigenous languages, we use the same words to address the living world as we use for our family, because they are our family. To whom does our language extend the grammar of animacy? Naturally, plants and animals are animate, Kimura writes in, in this indigenous language, but as she learns, she discovers that the Potawatomi understanding of what it means to be animate diverges from the list of attributes of living beings we all learn in Bio 101. In Potawatomi 101, rocks are animate, as are mountains and water and fire and places. Beings that are imbued with spirit, our sacred medicines, our songs, drums, and even stories are all animate. The list of the inanimate seems to be smaller, filled with objects that are made by people. Of an inanimate being, like a table, we say, what is it? And we answer, dopwen yewe, table it is. But of apple, we must say, who is that, Kimura writes, and reply, mishimin Yahweh apple that being is Yahweh the animate to be the the to be with life to speak of those possessed with life and spirit we must say Yahweh is not this just what it means to be to have the breath of life within to be the offspring of creation the language reminds us in every sentence of our kinship with all the animate world and remember here that animate world is capturing a very different group of beings um, than the English animate world. English, Kimura writes, does not give us many tools for incorporating respect for animacy, for life. 
In English, you are either a thing or a human. And one has life, has animacy, and the other does not. Our grammar boxes us in by the choice of reducing a non-human being to an it or by necessarily gendering inappropriately as he or she. Where are the words, Kimmerer asks, for the simple existence of another living being? Where is our Yahweh? Her friend Michael Nelson tells her about a woman he knows, a field biologist whose work is among other than humans. Most of her companions are not two-legged, Kimmerer writes, and so her language has shifted to accommodate her relationships. Someone is in my hat, she says, shaking out a deer fly. Someone, not something. And I actually think Kimmerer's language in this telling this story is really interesting too. How she talks about the field biologists whose work is among other than humans. And how she says that most of her companions are not two-legged. Although Kimmerer writes, my students still have to learn scientific roles and Latin names, I hope I am also teaching them to know the world as a neighborhood of non-human residents, to know that, as eco-theologian Thomas Berry has written, we must say of the universe that it is a communion of subjects, not a collection of objects. One afternoon, a student, Andy, asked, does this mean that speaking English, thinking in English, somehow gives us permission to disrespect nature? by denying everyone else the right to be persons. Wouldn't things be different if nothing was an it? The animacy of the world is something we already know, Kimmerer argues, but the language of animacy teeters on extinction, not just for native peoples, but for everyone. Our toddlers, Kimmerer writes, speak of plants and animals as if they were people, extending to them self and intention and compassion, until we teach them not to. When we tell them that tree is not a who, but an it, we make that maple an object. We put a barrier between us, absolving ourselves of moral responsibility and opening the door to exploitation. Saying it makes a living land into natural resources. Object turns it into object for us because it's a that's the relationship between us and it we're subject and it is object if a maple is an it we can take up the chainsaw if a maple is a her we think twice another student countered andy's argument but we can't say he or she that would be anthropomorphism and i just want to point out that this is a great example of a paper where there is a counter response, a counter argument. So this here we see Kimmerer addressing and raising a counter argument. What about anthropomorphism? They are well-schooled biologists, she writes, who have been instructed in no uncertain terms never to ascribe human characteristics to a study object, to another species. It is a cardinal sin in science that leads to a loss of objectivity. But Andy counters, just because we don't think of them as human doesn't mean they aren't beings. 
isn't it even more disrespectful to assume that we're the only species that counts as persons? And Kimmerer points out, the arrogance of English is that the only way to be animate, to be worthy of respect and moral concern, is to be a human. There's also a great interview with Robin Wall Kimmerer on a podcast called On Being with Krista Tippett, where um, Krista asks Kimmerer about this, um, pro- the problem of anthropomorphism. Um, and I think Kimmerer has such a great response to that challenge, which is that both of these things involve assumptions right you can assume that animals are like us or you can assume that animals are not like us or in the language of anthropomorphism you can anthropomorphize which is assuming animals are like us or ascribing them qualities that are usually seen as our qualities or you can not do this you can treat animals as if they're not like us they're unlike us And the suggestion is that one is objective, an objective assumption, so not ascribing animals' qualities like our qualities or ascribing, quote, our qualities to animals is the scientific assumption, the objective assumption. And thinking that um, other animals other non-human animals have qualities like our, like we do is the non-scientific assumption. But Kimmerer points out that these are both just starting assumptions. These are, this is just a, a choice. Um, which, which assumption are you going to begin with? That other beings are like us or not like us? And I think and I think she's right to say we need a more argument why one is objective and more scientific than the other. Why is it more objective to think that beings who evolved in a world like ours won't have qualities like us? Why is that a more objective scientific assumption than thinking that beings um, are unlike us, which is also involves a a starting assumption. Kimmerer goes on to say, a language teacher I know explained that grammar is just the way we chart relationships in language. Maybe, she writes, it also reflects our relationships with each other. Maybe a grammar of animacy could lead us to whole new ways of living in the world, where other species are seen as a, a sovereign people a world with a democracy of species, not a tyranny of one. With moral responsibility to water and wolves, and with a legal system that recognizes the standing of other species, and not just the standing of corporations. Andy is right, Kimmerer writes, learning the grammar of animacy could well be a restraint on our mindless exploitation of land, but there is more to it. I have heard our elders give advice like, you should go among the standing people or go spend some time with those beaver people. They remind us of the capacity of others as our teachers, as holders of knowledge, as guides. 
Imagine walking through a richly inhabited world of birch people, bear people, rock people, beings we think of and therefore speak of as persons worthy of our respect of inclusion in a peopled world. Imagine how much less lonely the world would be. But I like that in the morning I can go for my walk around the meadow, greeting my neighbors by name. I am not advocating, Kimmerer writes, that we all learn Potawatomi or Hopi or Seminole, even if we could. But to become native to this place, if we are to survive here and our neighbors too, our work is to learn to speak the grammar of animacy so that we might truly be at home. That's the uh, end of the lecture for um, the, this Robin Wall Kimmerer reading, which was a shorter reading. Both our readings for this last week are a little bit shorter. So I just wanted to take a little bit of time at the end of this lecture to talk a little bit about um, what it means to critically engage with something. And I thought I would take this work as an example of, of maybe trying to um, give a process as, as a starting place for engaging critically with um, ideas. So imagine we were going to try to think critically about Robin Wall Kimmerer's um, article, The Grammar of Animacy. Where, where, how do we start? I think the first place you want to start is to make sure that you get a clear idea, that you have a clear sense of the main points being made in the article. So for example, I think an important place to start is to get clear on what Robin Wall Kimmerer means by a grammar of animacy. And we have a, a quote on page 131 where she talks about, she says, water, land, and even a day. The language, the Potawatomi language, a mirror for seeing the animacy of the world. The life that pulses through all things, through pines, nut, nut hatches, mushrooms. This is the grammar of animacy. So I think this, if I was taking notes, trying to um, write a, a, reading a critical reading response on this article, that would be a good thing to have in your notes. What does Kimmerer say she means by the grammar of animacy? Okay, it's about a language that allows for seeing life in the world, in life in what English calls things, inanimate things. It would also be important to um, have a understanding, have a good grasp of what is included in what's animate for um, the in the Potawatomi language, because this is a place that's that Kimmer argues is very different from English. So she talks about um, how animate in the Potawatomi understanding diverges significantly from Bio 101. In Potawatomi 101, rocks are animate, mountains, water, fire, places, beings imbued with spirit, sacred medicines, songs, drums, and even stories are all animate. So I think it would be important to have a good to have a grasp of what she means by um, animate and what the group that's included as animate in the Potawatomi language. And I think it would also be useful to note how she says this contrasts with English, how she talks about um, 
that there's either the options in English are it or um, genders or gendering inappropriately he or she and that there and she asks where are the words for the simple existence of another of another living being where is our Yahweh which is the animate to be so now we have um, a, this I think a better sense of what is meant by grammar of animacy what is the animate groups that um, what's the group of animate um, beings that's being identified in Potawatomi and how does this contrast to English and then we want to see what how she how is she putting these terms and ideas to work what how are these how is this motivating a thesis and this moves nicely into her um, discussion in her paper on on the consequences of this different language so we have Andy who talks about who asks you know does speaking English and thinking in English somehow give us permission to disrespect nature and um, Kimura talking about how um, toddlers speak to plants and animals as if they were people extending to themselves an intention and compassion until we teach them not to so we're trying to get clear on the terms being used what do the terms mean and then how are those terms being used what what is the consequence of these ideas that um, Kimmerer is arguing and then we also have um, stories of um, saying it turns a living land into natural resources if a maple is an it we can treat it differently than if a maple is seeing as an is seen as an animate being. So this is another one of the uh, consequences of language that Kimmerer is arguing for. And then we also have her um, her counter argument and response. So that might be helpful to have in, in your notes. Okay, well, you know, here's a counter argument that Kimmerer also already gives. Well, what about anthropomorphism? And then we have her response which she gives through her student, Andy, who says, um, just because they're not human doesn't mean that they aren't beings. And we have this great line from Kimmerer about how one of the arrogances of English is that the only way to be animate, the only way to have life, to be worthy of respect and moral concern is to be human. Then Kimmerer gives us some more conclusions. So she points out that she thinks Andy is right that learning the grammar of animacy could well be a restraint on our mindless exploitations of land. So this is one of her theses or her conclusions about why a grammar of animacy is important and why some languages like Potawatomi are better at that than other languages like English, which is not good at seeing animacy in the world, she argues. But she says that's not her only conclusion that she says there's more to it and this is also about how language reminds us of the capacity of others as teachers as holders of knowledge as guides so not just that we wouldn't if we saw if our language saw the um what the world was populated with differently it's not just that we wouldn't exploit the land but we would 
even further than that we would see the land as being a teacher as holder of knowledge as guide as worthy of respect to be included in our world and then i think it's also important to take note of her when she says what she's not saying so at the end she says i'm not advocating that we all learn potawatomi or hopi or seminole seminole even if we could so that's also good to know what is the author does the author say something about what they don't mean and so here kimura is saying look what i'm not saying is that we all need to learn an indigenous language and then she has an interesting point at the end about how learning to speak the grammar of animacy is about um, allowing us truly to be at home so once you have an outline of kind of the main important points in the author's argument the main kind of moves in their um, argument then you can start thinking more specifically about whether you whether you agree or not with each of these claims so that's one way to um, have a kind of a process for critical thinking about um, an author's ideas so one thing i was thinking about reading this article is the language of person and people and um, whether this is an a product of the english language that kimmerer has to use this language of people and person to describe um, things that she thinks should be deserving of respect and whether this is in tension with other things in the article like her um, point about how the arrogance of English language is that the only way to be animate, to be worthy of respect and moral concern, is to be human. So how does this, what's the relationship between the word human and the word people and persons? Are, are we to think that people and persons is a, um, a bigger word that is not about being human, but is the English word for being animate? Or is the need to use the language people and persons um, is this because of this arrogance of, of English that the only way we can think that an other beings deserve um, respect and to be included in our moral community is if we use language that means human like persons and people you might also wonder about um, the need for sameness here. So one thing we've been talking a little bit about in this class is difference, you know, difference between the experiences of different women. And, and here is something happening in Kimmerer's argument where it seems like something has to be like us in order to be deserving of respect. So it must be animate like us like we are animate in or order to be deserving of um, respect it must be um, people person again so just think about is there a tension of sameness that what we're talking about is things needing to be uh, again like us in some way in order to deserve respect why can't things just um, be deserving of respect on their for their own reasons on their own terms anyway i'll wrap up now um, i was just just wanted to do a little exercise of um of thinking critically through something and i just want to be clear that uh, 
I think Robin Wall Kimmerer's article is really well written and important and I think this is a really cool question to think about how our language affects our experiences in the world which is also an idea that we've seen come up throughout this class as well so see you uh, tomorrow for our next lecture <laughs>